You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The uh, mitzvah of Dalad Minim is somewhat unique. It's unique in the sense that there's a specific requirement that one go ahead and own their, uh, their Dalad Minim. And this is something which the Gemara Darshans, remember the Gemara Darshans, uh, in source number one over here from the word, mm-hmm. that you're going to take for yourself on the first day. So the Gemara goes ahead. In this Brisa, we break down the word to two words, and tom. So it says, the first drush is, So means that each person has to do the mitzvah individually. Some mitzvahs, like Kiddush HaChodesh, so that basin goes ahead and does it on behalf of everybody. So there's one central location where the mitzvah is done, but the mitzvah of Lulav isn't that way. Every person has to take their own dalad meaning. And then the word lachem, lachem, lachem means mishalachem. That means that there's a mandate, there's a requirement, a, 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 a necessary prerequisite, that each person own their own dalad meaning. Lahotzi es ha-shaul and that excludes using either a borrowed or a stolen. So we're not going to discuss uh, stolen. Um, even uh, uh, knowing everybody on the, uh, the Zoom uh, share over here, so I'm pretty safe that nobody's stealing down medium. So we're going to put that aside. In the event that, yeah, I'm uh, going to uh, um, judge you incorrectly. So Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are coming. You'll take care of it hopefully beforehand. But I'm going to assume that the issue over here is the Sha'ul part, is the borrowing part. So borrowing means that I'm not allowed to go ahead and use somebody else's, uh, somebody else's dalad minim. And even in the event that I have permission to go ahead and, and do so, so that also does not meet the requirement of lachem. Lachem literally means ownership. And even though this is something which is uh, important to point out, because it's in contrast to, let's say, the mitzvah of shofar, which is coming up, that even though we have a halachic uh, principle, which says... Uh, um, that people don't mind at all if somebody else uses if somebody else uses their stuff in the fulfillment of a mitzvah. So that would allow me, pre-corona, of course, to go ahead and to take your shofar without permission and to blow your shofar, and I could use it for uh, for the mitzvah. And I don't. If you're not around to ask, I don't even have to ask permission because I have the halachic right to assume that you would grant me permission to use your your uh, your shofar. So seemingly the same halacha is true with regards to dalminim. I should be able to take your lulav and esrog because undoubtedly you would be happy for me to go ahead and do a mitzvah with your stuff. Now that principle is true even with regards to dalminim. However, due to this requirement of lachem, mishalachem, that's what it's referred to in shorthand, due to this requirement that one has to own their own dalad minim, permission to use your stuff is not sufficient. That's not going to work, and I have to go ahead and I have to make sure I have to actually obtain ownership of it in order to fulfill the mitzvah. And as we're going to see, this is going to create various challenges and questions about what exactly constitutes ownership. And this idea is something which is emphasized by the Ramah. This is the Ramah at the end of Taf Reish Nun Ches, source number two. So the Ramah says, Every person, Yishtadel, should make an effort 
zariz and should be very quick about it, should be very uh, conscientious of it, we'll translate as, to go ahead and to purchase his own lulav and esog, in order to be able to fulfill the mitzvah according to, uh, according to uh, the requirement. So what does that mean? Why, why does the Ramah have to go ahead and emphasize this, this point? So seemingly what should happen is, is I should be able to go to Bab on the first day of Sukkot after Hala and say, Bob, you're, uh, it's Kriya Satara time now, and you're not using your Lulav and Esog anymore. Could you go ahead and, which we'll talk about the parameters, but could you go ahead and uh, convey ownership of your Dalad meaning to me so that I should be able to use it? Bob says, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm about to lay now. I don't have time to talk to you about Dalad meaning, but go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, make yourself crazy. So if God, if Bob were to say to me something to the effect of, sure, go ahead, make yourself crazy. So the Magen Avram explains that may not work because, and it's since ownership is such a necessary prerequisite, the concern the Ramah has is why he, uh, he advocates that he's, each person should make an effort to purchase their own Dalad Minim is, not everybody else is familiar with Chosha Mishpat. Those of you here who are uh, part of Young Israel, so you are experts of Chosha Mishpat, but those who are not fortunate enough to be members of Young Israel and don't attend Shurim, so they may not be so familiar with Chosha Mishpat, and they're not going to realize the nuances and the, uh, the requirements in order to convey ownership. And if you make a mistake in that, in that conveyance of ownership, so that can become a problem in terms of fulfillment of the mitzvah. So therefore, rather relying, and obviously, if you are the recipient of that, so you're relying on the uh, original owner's knowledge of halacha and intent to go ahead and to, to, do, to, uh, to convey ownership properly, and you're really at that person's mercy. Not only their kindness to go ahead and be willing to share, but you're at their mercy in terms of their knowledge of how to convey ownership. And since people aren't necessarily experts in that, so you may end up getting stuck that you're using somebody else's esrog. If they don't convey ownership properly, you don't fulfill the mitzvah. So it's a much safer thing to go ahead and just make sure, get your own lulav and esrog, and that way you don't have to rely on anybody else's kindness, nor do you have to rely on anybody else's knowledge of chosha mishpat. Okay, now, this idea that you should make sure to use somebody else, you should make sure to use your own rather than somebody else's, so the El Yeraba, this is in Simon Tafresh Memtes, Sivkat uh, Yurches. So he goes ahead and he quotes a tshuva of the Mabit, who frames this idea in a very practical way, something that uh, that's important to consider. And he writes, "I in tshuvas Mabit. If you look in the Mabit, So he also warns that every person should make an effort to acquire their own lulav and esro. Why? Because perhaps because maybe the owner is not going to convey ownership wholeheartedly. Maybe he'll feel that you're pressuring him. He feels that he can't say no. He doesn't really want to give it to you because he's afraid, let's say in Corona, he doesn't want anybody else touching his stuff. And therefore he doesn't really want to do so. But to say no is something which may come across as cruel or mean or whatever it's going to be. So he'll reluctantly give ownership because he feels that he has to have a, have a choice. But if he's not doing it wholeheartedly, it may not actually transfer ownership. Because uh, the intent, the, as, as we all know, that the most fundamental element, anytime you're transferring ownership of property from one person to another, is the meeting of the minds. 
And if the giver of the property doesn't have the correct mindset that he sincerely wants to go ahead and convey that ownership, so that's going to be ma'akev. That's something which is going to uh, could be an impediment to properly transferring that ownership. Now, here comes the interesting part. He says, umashma sham. If you look in the mabit inside, you'll see it implies shim yeshel esrog kasher. Let's say you have your own esrog, but you have a low-quality esrog. That's what we mean by kasher over here, right? Uh, as everybody knows, that when it comes to esrogim, the more times it says the word muhudr on your box or something, so the more not only the more expensive it is, but the assumption is that it's a better esrog to use. So you have one which just says on it simply kasher. That's the lowest level of kashras of dalad minim. And your friend has one that says muhudr, muhudr, muhudr. So you say to yourself, listen, if I have a choice between my own sort of ichi esrog, which bidiyevet is kasher, or I could use my friend's which one should I, which one is better to use for the mitzvah? I'm just going to watch the video to make sure I'm doing it right. So certainly it's going to be better to go ahead and use the muhudr, muhudr, muhudr esrog of my friend because that's a much more beautiful esrog. But the Mabit says no. In the event that you have your own kasher esrog, low quality but kasher, it's better because of this principle of ownership, this prerequisite of ownership. It's better to go ahead and use your own esrog, which is a low quality kasher esrog, rather than to use your friend's esrog, which is muhudr muhudr muhudr, which is a much more beautiful. Much uh, a much better quality esrog because uh, beauty versus non-beauty is irrelevant in the event that we get to the point where you may not even own the esrog altogether. So rather than risk of not uh, risk not owning the esrog altogether, it's better to use the one which you've already purchased than to quote unquote convey ownership, have your friend convey ownership of your esrog, so that you should be able to use his in order to use a more beautiful esrog. So as we know, an important idea uh, to know when it comes to hidur mitzvah, when it comes to beautifying mitzvahs, is that the most, I think Rabbi Reisman says this, he says that the best hidur for a mitzvah is to do the mitzvah. It's an interesting chat. He says the best hidur of the mitzvah, the best beautification of mitzvah is to actually do it. So if you end up trying to adopt all sorts of chumras and beautifications and all sorts of different things in order to make the mitzvah more beautiful, but in doing so you end up creating such a narrow scope of what you're able to use that you can't even fulfill the mitzvah. It's not even an option to fill the mitzvah, so you haven't beautified the mitzvah at all. So here you have one which you for sure own and is kosher. You have one which is more beautiful, but somebody else's and he has to convey ownership. And if that conveyance isn't done properly, you end up not owning it. So better to go ahead and be assured of fulfilling the mitzvah than to try and be mahadr after a more beautiful esther. Okay. So that's the frame of reference which we have in terms of the effort that uh, one should make to own their own lulav and esrog. And for us nowadays, 21st century, it's not something which is very difficult because there's generally a very large supply of, uh, of esrogim. It's not like 250 years ago or 300 years ago, if you lived in the Ukraine or something, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting yourself a citrus fruit, uh, like an esrog, to go ahead and to be able to use for the uh, for the mitzvah or a palm branch also does not, as far as I know, does not grow in the Ukraine. Uh, you know, those northern countries, very, uh, very successful. Okay, so let's see now how this is codified in Shulchan Aruch, and we'll eventually get to uh, 
to some of the uh, the, the, the specific details. So here, Simon Tafresh and Chesiv Gimel Shachan Arch says, "Ein Adam Yotzei Dechavasa Biyam Rishon Lulav Shachaveru Sheishilo." So on the first day of Sukkot, you cannot, not even preferable, you cannot fulfill your mitzvah with a friend's lulav that he loans to you. Why? As we learn in the Brice, Adarina Lachem Mishalachem, because the Torah says it has to be yours, and that means ownership. Vaafilu. Now he says, Vaafilu Amar. So let's say you go to your friend. I go to Al. I say, listen, Al, that's a beautiful dollar uh, minim. I don't have one. Can I, uh, so can I borrow yours? So Al says, sure. And then he says a phrase. It should be yours until you fulfill the mitzvah. And then when you're done with it, it comes back to being mine. It's mine once again. So what El is trying to do is he's trying to convey ownership to me by using this face. He, he thinks he's being generous. It's yours until you fulfill the mitzvah. When you fulfill the mitzvah, it comes back to being mine again because I want to use it tomorrow. Says lo yatsa. So such language would not allow me to fill the mitzvah. Why? The Because that language, that formulation, it's yours until you fulfill the mitzvah. Then it's mine again. That is language, it's fancy language. When you break it down, that's language of borrowing. That's not actually conveying ownership. That's saying, I'll loan it to you. And then, and then when you're done with it, it's mine again. So that language is, I'm loaning it to you. And then when you're done, it's mine. So that is borrowing language rather than conveying ownership. and doesn't work. But, but in the event that Al gives it to me, he says, sure, Rabbi, What's mine is yours. This is a gift and enjoy yourself. So if he says it's a gift, so then that's going to work. Because if he, if he is more explicit about using gift language, so then gifting something actually works. And this is what's actually spelled out in Sif Dalid, which we'll read before we jump ahead for a moment. Let's say, Al, uh, he didn't stop learning Shulchan uh, at Sif Gimel. He went on to Sif Dalit, and he finds out that he says that you could give what's called Matana Amanasa Hafsir. El says, Rabbi, this is, this is a gift to you on condition that you return it to me. So I'm gifting it to you, meaning I'm giving you full ownership of it, but that gift has a stipulation, and the stipulation is that when you're done fulfilling the mitzvah, I want you to go ahead and gift it back to me. So that, Shulchan Aruch says, works. Why? Because of the rule which we said. Because in most instances in halacha, the Gemara and Kedushin talks about this, but in most instances of halacha, a gift which is given on condition that it is returned, that is considered to be during the period of time that I have El's lulav, halachically it's considered to be mine. But the one qualification is, in the event that for whatever reason I don't return it to Al, so I never fulfill that condition, the stipulation that it has to be returned, so I borrow it and it never gets back to Al, so then retroactively it was never mine, it was never a gift to me if I can't return it to him. And this is going to be true even if aliens come along and they steal the esrog and they steal the, uh, the lulav, so it doesn't make a difference. Ones is not going to be an excuse in this, in this particular halacha, it's absolutely necessary to return it, and if not, for whatever reason, so the mitzvah is not fulfilled. And paying you money afterwards isn't going to help either, because it was originally given as a matana manasa hafsir. Yes, Ellen, is your hand up? 
yeah, the only real difference I, I see between this language and the previous language of uh, becomes mine once you've done the mitzvah, the only uh, difference, I, it, it seems very close, uh, but the, the only difference I can see is no specific time is mentioned. Okay, so we're, we're going to see in source six in a moment what the, the how the uh, the Sharetzion goes ahead and explains it because he's also bothered by the fact that the end of Siv Gimel and the beginning of Siv Dalad seem to be very similar types of language, indeed. Ellen, is that what you're going to say? Was that um, we keep referring to your friend? Is there a different rule for families? We're going to get to that when we get to source seven. And oh, good. And also, is there some sort of kind of connection between this and selling your chametz? Uh, there are, but I don't know if we're going to get to any of that uh, that part of it uh, tonight. But yes, what, 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 once we are, you're absolutely correct, that once we are conceptualizing as far as Kinyanam are concerned, so then this brings us in the, 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 an article which will, uh, which will come out from the Beis HaRav, Sukkot's time, I assume. So yeah, so I, 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 I connect the two of those together in terms of, and Simon Tov Memches, there's a lot of uh, uh, discussion about how exactly to convey ownership of chametz to the non-Jew in order to avoid ownership of chametz. And we use all sorts of different kinyanim over there. So yes, there's that, uh, the, the overlap between the two uh, topics because they're both having to do with kinyanim. So yes, absolutely. Okay, so first we're going to do uh, source six, which is what Al brought up. And then we're going to do source seven, which is the first thing which uh, Ellen brought up. Okay, and as we get better at this, you guys will just, I'll just do the first paragraph and then you guys will just fill in the rest uh, on your own. Okay, so now we say source six. So here now uh, the Sharetzion uh, the is addressing uh, Al's point that if I say, if Al said to me, this is yours until you're done and then it's mine, Versus this is a mat- which doesn't work. Versus matano manasa hapsir a gift on condition that you gift it back to me that does work. So what's the difference between what's the nuance difference between those? That's very dramatic, and that now helps us understand why the Rama in the Magen Avram explained that you're always better off using your own than borrowing somebody else's because if you use the wrong formulation of gifting, it may not work. You know, you'll try and get wax poetic or something. You'll try and make it rhyme. And when you go ahead and try and make, make it sound like a Dr. Seuss uh, or, or something, and in the process of doing so, you could end up messing up the whole, uh, the whole point and you don't convey ownership. So that's why it's so important. But what is the difference? So what Shulchan Aruch says, this was Sif Gimel, that it's your, the first formulation, it's yours until you fulfill the mitzvah, then it's mine where the mitzvah is not fulfilled in such a case. Why is that so? So Sharetzin explains, It's evident from the very outset that I'm not giving this to you even for a duration of time. It's until you fulfill the mitzvah, until you go ahead and fulfill the mitzvah, but I'm not giving it to you even for, it's not like I'm lending it to you for, a week, a day, an hour, half an hour, 15 minutes, five minutes, it's not mine for any duration of time. And being that it's not mine for any duration of time, so therefore we say, therefore it's not really considered to be an actual Kenyan, that it should qualify as lachem, as yours. In contrast, 
if you go ahead and you uh, you gift it to me on condition that I, it should be returned. So in such a case, Amrina that when you go ahead and if I say simply, and we're going to see this in Sifei actually, that if I say I want to borrow it, so then the assumption is, is that if I say I want to borrow it, it's understood that I'm borrowing it as a matana amanasa haksev, as a gift, which is given on condition that it should be returned. Visham, and when you use that formulation, hamatana hu matana gemura. That's considered to be for the period of time that I'm using it, Al is giving it to me as a full gift, gift tax and everything. Everything related to gifts is going to be applicable. And the condition that uh, eventually it has to be returned. So that's just a tonight, just like you could make any tonight on a gift that you want. You could put any condition on that gift and it's going to be binding. So the almanasa haqsa, on condition that it should be returned, is also just a stipulation which is associated with that gift. But as far as during the period of time that it is gifted, it's considered to be gifted wholeheartedly. So that's, a, that's how we differentiate that you have to sort of uh, uh, be attentive to the language and does the language actually imply full gift giving or does language imply I'm just letting you use it but I'm not actually gifting it to you. And that, that distinction is very fine, is very uh, you know, gray and it, uh, you know, can be very muddy. And once again, that's why the Magen of Ram in the, in the, in the Ramah strongly advocate ownership of your own Dalimimim. That way you don't have to rely on proper formulation and proper intent or anything of that sort. I mean, it seems to me that the distinction is that in the first case, in the first case, the return happens automatically without any further action by the borrower. Right, um, right. Whereas in the second case, the borrower actually has to take some action to return it to the original owner. Correct, correct. So there, there's a whole long discussion by Matano excellent art, about whether or not you have to, does that require a new Kenyan on the, the part of the original owner? Are you, are you, are you, are, are, is, does the owner, um, does it only become the original owners if he makes a Kenyan on it? Or as soon as the borrower is done and let's say puts it back down on the table, it already belongs to the original owner, and you don't need a second Kenyan on the on the way back. So that's a, that's a one point which the the post can discuss, which is a general thing by by Matano Menasahafzer. But yes, you're, you're correct, Art, as far as that that difference as to whether or not their their post can will go ahead and emphasize that the more explicitly whether or not it was um, uh, they have to give it, you have to gift it back or whether it just automatically goes back. Excellent. Rabbi Sheffel? Yeah. Um, so when I was growing up, the shul would sometimes have a lulav and esrog that anybody could use, you know, that they kept in the back so you could go and pick it up and use it. What, how does that, does that work as far as ownership goes? Right. Okay. So I was going to skip it, but we'll read it now. So right. So th- this for for us, it's uh, it's a uh, uh, it's a little bit more foreign. Uh, back in the day, depending on where you uh, where where you were and whatnot, so it wasn't so easy to get a, a set of dal minu, and it was very very common in towns. And there, there's many halachas which address this, uh, having to do with a town which is able to obtain one set of lulav and esro, which had to be used by everybody. So how do you go about, you've got, uh, you know, 200 people in town, and they all have to use the same rule of an esrog. 
So you can imagine what that esog looked like by the end of Sukkot, when you have that many people are handling it every day of Sukkot, that's a lot of handling, and it goes brown uh, pretty quickly. But this is something which is a uh, which is uh, which which was a concern uh, up until not uh, not uh, not so long ago, so we say in Sif Hey, so Shulchan Aruch says Nasu lo stam. Let's say I just go to uh, to El. I say, can I, can I use your lulav and esrog? And he says, sure. So So we are going to automatically assume in halacha that what El when El said sure. If you look up Pirish Rashi on that sure, what that means is, yes, I'm giving that to you as a matana amanasa hachsa. So uh, using our dafyomi terminology, I don't know what size sledgehammer, if that's a size eight or size nine sledgehammer, that you have to go ahead and you have to slam all of those words into his sure. But halachically, we're going to make that assumption that when Al said sure, what he meant was, I'm giving this to you as a matana amanasa hachsa. Why do we make that assumption? Because obviously that's what Al meant when he said sure, because he and I both know that the only way I can be Yotze the mitzvah is if I own it. And therefore he has to give me ownership in order for me to be in order for me to in order for his sure to actually be effective as far as what we both want, which is that I should be able to fulfill the mitzvah. So since I want to fulfill the mitzvah, and Al is lending it to me so that I should be able to fulfill the mitzvah, that gives us license to go ahead and interpret his shur as matano manasa hachzer. So we're going to shtup all of that into the shur. And then vim lo zero. and as we said, in the event that I don't return it to him, lo yatsa, it will turn out that I'm not yotze. But as long as I return it to him, so it will, uh, it, it, it will work. So that is, um, uh, Charlene, so that is to a large degree, that's what they would rely upon in towns where there was only one, they wouldn't give everybody a, a bechina, a test before Yantif, to make sure that they know the ins and outs of matana manasa or how to convey ownership. But the as long as you don't um, get fancy with your language and you just say, yes, sure, so then we're going to go ahead and we'll make all the assumptions on your, on, on your behalf. Um, I thought... I thought that something that's owned by a shul is by definition partially owned by every member of the shul, and they, they don't have to acquire new ownership because they already own it. Right, so we, we can have a whole discussion about the nature of shutfus and halacha. Does that mean that everybody owns 100% of the esrog, or everybody owns a percentage of the esrog? If you only own a percentage of the esrog, so then it's going to be a problem. There's 200 people in town, and I'm one of those 200, so that means I, maybe I own only one two hundredth of that esrog, half a percent. Half a percent isn't lachem, it does, it's not full ownership. Well, it, you also need to own tzitzis. And, and if you're a member of a shul, you can use the shul's talis and make a bracha on it. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah, so there's a lot of, so, excellent. So there's a lot, of, I, I specifically took that out of this, uh, of this uh, discussion over there. But another place where you where, where you see ownership as being something which is essential has to do with simen yudalad. And simen yudalad in the Orachayim is the halachas of tzitzis and ownership of tzitzis. So you're absolutely correct. So there's an overlap between this and that. And you find that the, uh, a, a very important taz about this whole discussion is not a taz which appears over here in Hilchos Lulav. It's a taz which appears over there in Hilchos Tzitzis. So this is where we sort of step out of the specific page of Shulchan Aruch and we think about conceptually where are all the places in Orachayim where ownership is something which is essential.
So one of them happens to be tzitzis as well. So that's uh, very good. So why, why that's so is another discussion which is beyond what we're going to do now. Okay. Now we get to Ellen's point as far as the family is concerned. So now the Arach HaShulchan, he, uh, he raises the question. He says, He says, I'm, cer- I'm certain. That on the first day of Sukkot, one does not fulfill the mitzvah with a borrowed lulav. And you have to actually convey ownership to the other person, as is discussed in the next simon. So now the, um, the Aruch HaShulchan's question is, is this true also if in a uh, nuclear family you have a father, his adult sons, and even his sons-in-law, all of which, all of whom he supports? So he's a sugar daddy for the whole family. So he's providing for everybody. Everybody uh, literally eats off of his table. They are supported exclusively by, uh, by, by the father or father-in-law. So is that, where do they fit into this equation? The Gamkein Tzarech, do we say, the Gamkein Tzarech go echad medina lula bifneatzmo? Do we say, listen, each person is a separate adult and therefore they need their own lulav? O Dilmar, perhaps, kevin de matzina bekamadinim de kishesmuch ma'ashochanu beteim la'avim, that when they're financially supported by their father, whether it's a teenager, a young adult, or a married child who's being supported. So in some regards, they're considered to be subordinate to their father. There's halachas about their wages or lost objects or things like that. So in some areas, they're considered to be subordinate to the father. In Cain, we could say, perhaps we could say, maybe everybody in the family could use one lulav. And that will meet the requirement of ownership because in the family structure, if you live at that address, or even if you don't actually live there, but you're supported by somebody at that address, maybe that's considered to be ownership for everybody. And Art, to your point, this would be, it, it may not even be considered to be a shutfus. This may be even better than a shutfus of different parts, even though you could have, you know, 10 sons and sons-in-law who are all using the same thing, but maybe in that family unit, that's lachem for the family unit, and that will work. And he says, in fact, he says, you know what? He says, in my opinion, uh, he says, I think that that's actually correct, that within the family unit, everybody should be able to use a single lulav and esob, and it meets the requirement of lachem, but he does acknowledge, but one can definitely argue with me on that point. So he doesn't feel that he has a definitive proof to be able to demonstrate why this is halacha and everybody should be willing to accept it. But in, uh, if you ask Arach HaShulchan his personal opinion, he would say that within that family unit, which we're de- defining as Somech HaShulchan Aviv, that they are financially supported by the father, so that will meet the necessary criteria. Okay, now this is where we get to the point which we were discussing Shabbos afternoon. So here the Mishabura says that since there's a requirement of Lachem, says Yeshomim, so this is now source 8. So he says, Yeshomim. Some people say, Dahani Dakani Esog the Mitzvah. You go into the, the, the store and you say to the seller, I want to buy a Lua of an Esog. And they say, Sure, $75. And you reach in your pocket and say, Oh my gosh, I forgot my wallet. I don't have any cash on me. I don't have my credit cards on me. Uh, do you mind if I pay you after Yantif? They say, Sure, no problem. We trust you. Upari la Achar Chag. And you end up paying for your Lula of an Esog after Yantif. 
lo yos avdi. So there are opinions which say that that does not fulfill the mitzvah. You're not doing a good thing. Why? The kol kama de lo yoiv demei lo kani el Because if you didn't pay cash, you only took possession of it, but you didn't actually pay cash. So the kinyan which you made on that esrog is only a drabanandik kinyan. It's not daraisa. Midaraisa, from a Torah perspective, in order to make a purchase, actually, the, what, what affects the Kenyan on a Daraisa level is the money itself. And if I take possession of it, and if I don't pay money, that's a Kenyan which we call Mashicha, but that only works on a Durabanandika level. And a Durabanand Kenyan for this mitzvah of Dal Minim is going to be a problem. It says, Vanan, and we, Vainan Lachem Daraisa. And we require, in order to fill the mitzvah, that's what our whole discussion tonight is, it has to actually belong to you in order to fill the mitzvah. So therefore, if you say, can I have it and I'll pay you after sukkahs, you could run into a problem. You'll run into a problem. Unless you go ahead and you bring, you make a kinyan on it in your chatzar, bringing it into your home, which in most cases that would be uh, that would be uh, true. But says the Mishabrua, he concludes that uh, to be conscientious of this halacha, you should make sure that you pay for your lulav and esog before yantif in order to make sure that you make a kinyan daraisa. So this is something which raises all sorts of questions about using a check and using a, uh, a, a, a credit card or any other means of payment. Is that going to be a, is that going to be a kinyan daraisa? which allows you to fulfill the mitzvah, or is that not going to be a Kenyan Daraisa? And you'll find in some farms, some people actually go out of their way to pay specifically in cash. They won't use a credit card or a debit card or a check to pay for a of an esum. They'll only pay for it in cash in order to make sure that they're making a Kenyan Daraisa. Now, what's the reason why um, we're afraid. Why does Mishabura say that even if you bring it into your yard, which certainly when you go home with the Lua Vanessa from the store, you'll, end, you'll, uh, you'll take it into your possession, into your house, and that should be a Kenyan, which everybody agrees is a recognized Kenyan. So in Source 9, which we won't read inside, the Shevin Alevi says that, uh, that the, the concern is, is that if the person, if the, the mocher, if the seller, the merchant doesn't get any money for it. We're afraid that also he doesn't have in mind to convey ownership wholeheartedly. He's doing it reluctantly because he wants a customer and he want, he's hoping that after circus he's going to get paid. But since he didn't actually get paid anything, he's maybe somewhat reluctant in his mind and therefore he may not convey ownership wholeheartedly. And that goes back to what we said before, that you actually have to know the halachas in order to be able to convey ownership. And we're afraid that he may, uh, he may fall short. The Aruch HaShochan ultimately says, we don't pass in this way. This is a Chumrah, which he says, he has a proof, he claims, from the Yushami in Meister Shani, that's at the end over there, he says, that this Mefurish, it's explicit in the Yushami Meister Shani, that this is not a problem. But it's something which the Mishabura does raise as a potential issue. But what you should know, and with this we'll, uh, we'll conclude, because Mincha is coming, but uh, what you should know is, they are posting the of Shmuel Kamenetsky amongst them. He says, if I pay by check, even a post-dated check, that's going to constitute a Kenyan Daraisa. The whole shortcoming that the Mishabur is talking about is when I don't pay anything for the Lulav, for the Lulav in advance of Sokis. And if he doesn't pay anything, you don't give him anything. So then the Mocher is afraid, maybe he's ultimately not going to get paid. So that would actually be a problem. But in a case where you already gave him a check, even a post-dated check, 
So he's confident that he's going to be able to cash that check. It may turn out that he can't, but he's relatively confident that he's going to be able to cash that check. And therefore, there's no fear that the mocher, the merchant, may not make that kinyan on a, uh, a wholeheartedly. And therefore, he's of the opinion that you don't have to go ahead and pay in cash. You could certainly pay with a check. And the same svaro would apply pay, paying by credit card or a debit card, that they're confident in that transaction. And even if they don't process it till after Sukkot, it doesn't make a difference because everybody recognizes this as a full-fledged Kenyan to go ahead and to uh, to uh, to convey ownership of the Dalad Minim on a uh, uh, wholeheartedly, and therefore would work on a Doraisa level. Okay? Rabbi Sheffield, can I just ask you... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.